Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Now is the chance to use reliable energy to grow your money with the Dominion Energy Reliability Investment. Our new investment product offers competitive returns, no maintenance fees, and flexible online access to your money. Make the reliable investment in reliable energy. The Dominion Energy Reliability Investment. To find out more, go online to reliabilityinvestment.com. That's reliabilityinvestment.com. Now you're welcome along to the Huddle Breakdown podcast. We are the podcast to look at the stats, XG and performance of Celtic FC. There's a lot to get into this week, as always is the case with Celtic these days, but we're going to start off with the main topic of the week, the Dubai trip. So 13 players forced to self-isolate after Chris Virgilian test positive on return from Dubai. 13 first-team players plus Neil Lennon and assistant John Kennedy as well. Celtic's statement summed up in one paragraph for me. Whilst we were in Dubai, the announcements made on January 4th significantly changed the COVID landscape. The reality is that the case could have well occurred if we remained in Scotland, as other cases have done in Scotland and across UK sport in the past week. Nicola Sturgeon came out hired against Celtic, criticising them, saying that she didn't think that they were sticking to the proper protocols. Peter Lall announced yesterday in a statement if you look back over the last four years going to the camp in Dubai has been extremely successful and the decisions made were entirely in the best interests of the team and the best interests of the club what we planned to do was take them to the same facilities which are world class and after a hectic program in November and December which was had proven to be a great benefits to the team and their performance in January to get to that performance level again. Jico James and Alan Morrison are on the line to discuss all of this. Lads, I think the general feeling that I'm getting from all this is that Celtic have washed their hands of any responsibility for this at all and are essentially playing their cards in the sense that this could have happened in Scotland and we had permission to be there, so technically we're not wrong in being there. Yeah, so... Uh, there's, there's like a million things we can touch on here in terms of issues, but for me, there are a couple I'm going I'm to kind of cover really, which are fundamentally call into question in my mind the basic competency of the board. So when, when you when your board of directors, actually, it doesn't matter whether we're managing Topshop or HSBC or Celtic Football Club, right? The roles and responsibilities of that board. Are, are pretty much the same, right? That's why you have non-exec directors that can be pretty fungible, move be, move and, and, and operate and oversee activities on different organisations because fundamentally the workings of a board and the work and the, and the considerations of a board 
are broadly similar in 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 um, across many and in all, all industries really, and 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 one of the one of the one of the skills or competencies that you need as a board member and as a CEO is is you really are the kind of moral compass of, of the firm, and and to you know to touch on the on the point you made just sometimes just because you can do something doesn't mean to say that you should, so because you've got sign off from the regulator. Uh, to do something, you know, you still have to ask yourself, is this the right thing to do for all of our stakeholders, for our brand, for our reputation, uh, and for the, and for, you know, for the, for the, for the benefit of the firm and, and, and the society that we operate in, because no company is an island, you know, this does, the impact that you're having on society, especially for a football club, which is ingrained within, in, in society, uh, these considerations are very important. And it fundamentally comes down to this. It wasn't the right thing to do, and the board fundamentally didn't come to that conclusion. Now, and th- this this question of oh well, you know, in in the fourth of January the situation changed it d- won't wash at all because any any company, especially in the current situation, would have some kind of COVID crisis response, um, uh, you know, framework uh, to put in place. Now, for example, you know, the, com- the company I work for we had daily executive level meetings when the, the whole thing kicked off in March last year. And then, of course, you know, as, as, as you sort yourselves out, that cadence becomes less frequent. But I would have thought that um, for, uh, for, for most companies, and certainly for Celtic, you would have some kind of at least weekly a crisis response group meeting to say, you know, what what is the latest situation? Because the, the, the thing, things are changing very quickly. You know, Peter Lowell in his in his uh, you know interview yesterday touched on the fact that yeah, well, we got approval in November. You know, so you know, but the point being is, you're constantly reviewing those decisions to say, you know, has has the world changed? Has the landscape changed? Have the risks changed? And I'll come on to risks in a moment. And fundamentally, they had you know the situation was getting worse. You know, the, 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 all the all the um, all the signs were that you know lockdown restrictions were going to uh, going to get worse. So although the approv- yes approval was there, you know you've got to read the environment that you live in, and that is a key competency of, of the board. Um, and, and and they got it wrong, right? They got it wrong. And and you know this comment about Celtic is the most impacted club. You know he's actually probably right. He's right if you look through the lens of uh, financial. If you look through the financial lens, Celtic have probably lost more money than any other club. However, um, they're not, that doesn't mean to say they're the most impacted. It only means they're the most impacted through that lens. And that lens is hardly surprising given that Lowell's an accountant. I don't really like accountants being CEOs, but here we are. It, it does happen. <laughs> uh, and, but there's a, whole, but there's, there's a whole range of other lenses that as a, as a, as a board member and as a director you have to look at, including, you know, not just financial. So let me come on to the second thing, and this really worries me uh, massively, which is, you know, the whole concept of risk management. Right? Risk management should exist in any company. Now, you may not be like a, a massive bank, a football club. It doesn't have a whole risk department and an army of people considering every individual uh, risk competency. But nevertheless, it's a responsibility of the board to consider those risks. And really, it, it, you know, it's, it's a pretty standard framework. You think about what, what is it that could go wrong that is going to impact us? What's the likelihood of it going wrong? And if it does go wrong, what's the impact? And then finally, what are we going to do to mitigate it? Which could range from uh, a whole host of issues, uh, a whole host of measures, like you would, like we have done, no doubt, at training, where you know to 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 combat the risk of players getting COVID. There'll be all sorts of uh, you know uh, measures put in place to mitigate those risks. To to, to 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 on the other hand, you know, doing nothing and just and just waiting, waiting to see. And and this comment that oh, you know, 
we we have all these protocols in place to deal with uh, player training and um, you know contact and so forth. You're going to a completely different environment. Okay, you're 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 mass transporting a large group of people over many many hours. It's an eight hour flight to to Dubai, right? You're mass transporting people. You're then people. The players don't live together. They probably don't travel to work together, but now they will be. They're they're in the building you know twenty four seven together when 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 at home they're not the physical layout of the um of the campus and of the training facilities will be fundamentally different. Celtic have control over all the ancillary staff at, at Lennox Town you know from the gate gate person to the grounds people to the catering staff to the masseurs to whatever and that won't be the case in in Dubai you don't have you don't you you might get some a bit of paper with a stamp on it saying you know certified COVID you know but but fundamentally your risk profile has gone up massively. Mm-hmm. And, and and also the risk profile is changing, you know, over time, as I, as I mentioned. So this 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 statement about oh, with the benefit of hindsight, as if to say, well, it's all very well saying after the fact, but actually, if you're if you're a, if you were a risk manager and you were looking at you know going to Dubai and you were saying, okay, well, what are the possible outcomes here? I would have said, I would have thought that even as a layperson, that the risk of one person contacting COVID would be significantly high. And actually, what has happened here isn't even the highest risk that could have happened. I would have said what has actually happened, where one person has become infected and then uh, a corollary of around you know, 15 people have uh, you know, uh, been, been locked down because of that, is, would have been a, probably a medium risk. You know, it, wouldn't, it, would, it would have been pretty likely, actually, to have happened. Mm-hmm. You know, the worst case scenario would have been the complete shutdown of football operations. And we probably weren't too far from that, in, the, in, in, in all honesty. So, so what level of risk management? And risk management isn't a one-time deal. I'm going to I'm going to assess my risks because, as as I mentioned before, within the framework of you know a board operating under these conditions, you should be reviewing these things on a weekly basis, saying has the landscape changed? Has the guidance changed? Has the risk um, profile changed? Is it now more likely? And and, and and you'd look to that, you'd you'd have come to the conclusion, well, yes, it has. The situation is worsening. Is it really worth it? Mm-hmm. And then, and then you've got to consider what is the impact. What what is the worst that could happen? What what we, what would be the financial impact of that? What would be the impact on our brand and on our reputation? The, the, uh, based on the things he said, these things don't seem to have even been considered. I mean, you, 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 if if you, if you'd said, okay, we've done all this and we concluded, ah, we're just going to we're going to take the risk anyway and see what happens. You'd kind of think, well, at least you've thought about it and you've made a decision. I don't think they even thought about this. Yeah. There's no the comments they've made. There's no evidence. And then finally, you know, the aftermath of it, as you mentioned, the whole lack of self-awareness, it's just, it's just baffling from a, you know, from a, a sort of PR perspective. It's just absolutely awful. But, but fundamentally for me, I mean, James will no doubt pull, on, pull up another 20 reasons why the board, the board are incompetent. But those are the two for me that, that just absolutely <laughs> scream. Uh, just basic, fundamental, mm-hmm. what you need a director to do for any company. James, your thoughts on all this? So the um, Alan uh, eloquently referenced the the risk side of the equation, and I think I, I agree a hundred percent there. And actually, um, when I went on Celtic Underground back at the end of July, uh, you know, I, I talked a lot about uh, you know Scott Brown at the time as a proxy for the analytical shortcomings that appeared to be on the on the horizon uh, for the club, but. Uh, I, towards I, I don't know somewhere last quarter of the the, the podcast, uh, I talked a lot about risk, 
and how the the composition of factors that were aligning for the season increased risk dramatically. And I think, um, you know, most human beings think in linear terms. So it's not natural for people to think in exponential math. That's why the uh, the pandemic has been so hard for people to grasp at times, which is, you know, how do we go from, you know, five people uh, uh, having cases and then th- three three weeks later, countries are in complete lockdown because the, it spread so fast. And and so that that's a that that's when you, when you think about uh, system dynamics and complex systems in particular. Uh, non-linearity is is a huge component to that and what alan just talked about on the risk side that's the perfect example of of that where one person gets it and the the you know you make one decision and because of the non-linearity of the risk uh not only do you have then 13 people which could have been worse you know uh isolating uh you now have the feedback loop of of financial risk that alan talked about which again if you Look at financial risk and operating leverage in a structure financially. That's nonlinear, for the most part. It can be anyway. Meaning that you know, if Celtics uh, uh, season ticket renewals go from fifty thousand to thirty-five thousand, the impact of that on cash flow is huge, right? We we all of a sudden go from you know player wage baseline of thirty-two million to maybe. 18 million, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it doesn't, it, it's not necessarily proportional. Um, so the, the risk side, I agree with hundred percent with Alan. It, it's been a, a disaster all season. Um, but the, the, what makes this worse in my mind is when you talk about risk, you usually also talk about reward, right? What's your unit of risk relative to the upside. And this comes back to the analytical competency or lack thereof, which is, uh, you know, this Hail Mary that a Dubai trip is is the reason why we've outperformed relative to expectations post-winter break um, in the last four seasons. And I, I, I tweeted about this, I think it was yesterday, the day before. It's like, what you know, I haven't done it, but you probably very simply do an analysis, a regression analysis of other clubs' wage budgets relative to their league squad size, that type of thing. Uh, you know, it only makes sense naturally that a club like Aberdeen, whose squad size and relative quality of that squad size uh, is going to suffer as the season goes on due to injuries, due to workload, fatigue. And we saw that with Rangers last year, right? So that that's, I actually did it on Allen's website back in, uh, on Celtic by numbers back in June, which was looking at the factors of what really drove Rangers falling off a cliff, uh, in results post winter break. And a lot of it had to do with the lack of squad depth. They had a cluster of injuries that, uh, they hadn't had in the first half of the season. And all of a sudden they had four or five, you know, of their most important players, uh, get injured. And so, and you know, when you have a deeper... Sorry, Jen, Morella stopped scoring and they didn't have a, an adequate backup option, didn't have that depth. Yeah. Exactly. And Defoe uh, was injured then. Mm. And you had Jack get hurt and you had uh, Davis get hurt and Barisic get I mean, you had, you know, some of their better players get injured, whereas I think before break it was just uh, 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 the one winger, I forget his name even, <laughs> that, that uh, went out with the red card. Um, so, you know... 
to, to me, that's th- this goes back to the modeling of of and how do you really attribute performance and think about things analytically. And so is there some impact? Of course, it's like the, the conversation we've had in the past about leadership and and, uh, you know, on the pitch and that type of thing. Of course, there has an impact. The question is, how do you measure it? Can you measure it? But more importantly, is it you know, 20% of performance? Is it 50% of performance? What's, you know, if you're doing a, a, an attribution analysis, how do you attribute certain things to what drives performance? I would argue that the Dubai trip is a rounding error as to why the season played out the way it did the last few seasons post break. And it was vast, you know, for example, last season, it was far more important that they switched McGregor into an attacking eight role and gave, uh, Edward, a strike partner, then they got some vitamin D while in Dubai. <laughs> yeah, which you can get, by, which you can get in tablet form. So you can exactly that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> so the, the upside here was a hail mary. It was based off of uh, a false premise that this was some magical way that we perform better is to get a week in the sun, or you know, in prior seasons, two weeks in the sun. Um, so when you when you put those two things together, the the it's just amazing. I keep coming back to this every time we talk about these issues, which it's just amazing the degree with which some of these decisions have been formulated and implemented and mishandled. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the ramifications of this are still to come. We, you know, this is going to continue to cascade uh, the, impl- the ramifications from the sequencing of bad decisions. Um, so it, it's Uh, In a rapidly changing world, people wonder more and more about where their food comes from and how it was grown. The farmers who grow America's corn understand how important this is and want to share the stories from our farms of how we are working to grow an incredible crop that can be an answer to sustainability questions and is grown by men and women who value the air, water, soil, and our natural resources just like you. To find out more about how corn farmers are working to feed and fuel a vibrant economy and healthy planet, visit ncga.com. NCGA, a commitment to the future. It's just incredible that this decision was made, given the context of everything else that's going on. Yeah, yeah it was it was absolutely insane. And I suppose looking at it from even just a footballing perspective, first of all, 19 points behind, like what Peter Law was saying that we did it in previous years, 19 points behind, you do not go to Dubai and go on a holiday and magically think that's going to change your season around. You're 19 points behind for a reason, because you're underperforming all of the different elements that we've talked about. Also, something that you touched on, Alan, that I wanted to touch on was the leadership. And how how many people do you think this decision would have had to go through in order for it to happen? So you have the board, you definitely have Peter Lawl involved in that, maybe Dermot Desmond, Neil Lennon, John Kennedy, and all of them, either nobody disagreed with going to Dubai or nobody had the guts to stand up to whoever had the ultimate choice of going to Dubai to say, that we're ni- we're 19 points behind Rangers. There's a global pandemic going on. The fans are already protesting out- outside of the stadium. Maybe this is not a good idea. And then the implications of all of this, like you said, the risk management, the ultimate risk for this is that, for example, let's say, because uh, we've seen uh, a little bit of different variations of results coming out from these tests and false pe- positives, false negatives, all sorts of things. What happens if Celtic come back from this trip Christopher Julian never tests positive. He gets a false negative test. He plays in that game against Hibbs. 
Hibs all get COVID, Celtic all get COVID, and the entire season is over. That That is what was at stake here, and that could have happened. Yeah, I agree with you. That is a per- uh, is a scenario that you've described that is not unreasonable. It's not a it's not a you know the moon the moon crashes into the earth type of piece of risk management. It's actually a, a plausible scenario. And, and and like you say, and as James eloquently said, what what is the upside to this? Is it worth the risk essentially? And 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 in terms of the decision making. You know, again, I keep coming back to the board of directors have got very specific duties uh, and responsibilities. So this isn't a decision for Neil Lennon, for John Kennedy. They've got a view. They're a key stakeholder as far as law is concerned. Desmond's a key stakeholder, obviously. But this is a board member decision. This is these 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 aspects of risk management are the responsibility of the CEO, the finance director, the, the head of operations, uh, etc., the head of HR or what have you. Head of HR, actually, I would have expected to have been making quite a lot of noises and have been very aware and and scenario planning around exactly the things that you've mentioned, by the way. Yeah. One one thing to learn is that the HR do not work for the people. They work for the the company. So if the company make the decision, the HR department might raise a few concerns (laughs) about it, but ultimately the company makes the choice. Let's get into the actual footballing things because it seems like forever that we've been actually able to talk about what's going on on the pitch as opposed to what's going on off the pitch. So Celtic won, Hibernian won a late goal from Nesbitt to level it up after uh, David Turnbull had given Celtic the lead from a fantastic free kick, you have to say. Celtic's lineup. I got a lot of stick on YouTube for referring to it as a, a B team, but I suppose maybe I was being a little bit flippant with that. But Hazard and goals, Duffy, Sorrow, Turnbull, Rogic, Johnson, Frimpong, McGregor, Harper, Welsh and Laxalt. So, you know, not the worst team in the world, to be honest. But let's get into things. Another set piece. What's going on? <laughs> well, I think, you know, for that particular set piece, you know, I looked at it and I'm not being I'm not being smart with hindsight here. As soon as Laxalt made that foul, my heart sank. I honestly, I honestly did. And then you looked at it and you had a, effectively like a bunch of 11-year-olds lined up across the six-yard box. And you're sort of thinking, this doesn't look good. So uh, whether that particular set piece is uh, a very good example to, to make generalizations about the season, I'm not so sure. But, you know, I think this game, uh, going back to you know, picking up on, on James's theme there of, you know, what's the upside? A tiny Tiny, tiny upside to this is that some players are going to get you know some exposure and some chances that otherwise wouldn't and we might actually learn something and we might actually save some money on on, on maybe you know a couple of players breaking through that, that hitherto you know hitherto wouldn't but you know I know you said I know you said you know this was still a strong squad and on paper it does look like a strong team that, that was uh, that was put out there but this I think this goes to highlight how fragile uh, and how complex a football team system actually is, that you, you only need to have uh, a couple of adverse uh, selection problems, like, for example, playing with no striker. Um, and, and, and a couple, in, in a, a two-striker system. In a two-striker <laughs> system. And then, and then well, I actually wasn't sure what formation they were. I'll be honest with you, I couldn't, I still, having watched it twice now, I couldn't yeah. tell you what formation they were playing. Agreed, but, agreed. But, but, but it also highlights how fragile Celtic's squad actually is to stand up to uh, any sort of challenge. Hibs are not a good side, as we've talked about on this you know, podcast a, w- a while. The, the the rest of the SPFL outside of one club who have had to cut their cloth accordingly uh, because of the situation that everybody's in are, 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 are all weaker than they were last season. 
you know, some teams like Livingston or, or Ross County, are a bad example, but might be like t- a tiny bit. You could probably make a case for saying they've improved a wee bit. But in terms of challenging Celtic, you know, this would have been like a free ride, beat Rangers pretty much, and, you, and you'd have wrapped it up. So hips, hips are not a great team. But yeah, you know, you could see that it took Celtic at least 20 minutes to get organised. And in that time, Hibs had five, six corners. Every single one looked like it could have caused caused trouble. They had a few shots on goal. You know, the overall XG for the game was awful. It was like it was like 1.9 to Hibs to 0.5 for Celtic. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. we, we did well to get out, out, out of this because pretty much all of our chances uh, were shots outside the box. So although there were, you know, six shots on target, 10 shots in total, uh, there was really none from what I'd call the sort of danger area, like zero. Um, and then there were like um, a few that were wide, wide angle in the, bo- in the box that were kind of poor choices. So it, it was it wasn't great. I think that you you can't crit- be overcritical because some of these kids, I think you know, and we'll maybe come on to some of the individual performances in a minute. But I think there's, there's perhaps certainly one that I would pick up 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 on. But playing without a striker, that 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 is what it's like. That that was a great example of you know. You can play a false nine system if that false nine is messy. That will work, right? <laughs> but when that when when that false nine is a, is a little skinny kid who, who honestly looks like he needs help, you know, wiping his nose, then it's not going to it's not going to work. And you're not going to get the runs made. You're not going to get the contact in the box. You're not going to get people moving the defenders out of position. There's just the, any any basic competent striker would have been able to do, and and that was that that was the most glaring reason I think that Celtic had such little attacking threat in the game. Yeah, well, one of the things to think about when it comes to this game as well is that you don't want to be overly harsh on the players who are out there because even though it is a, a fairly okay team, not the best team that you can obviously put out, the team that would have been preparing for Hibernian for the game would have been preparing in a system in Dubai. So all of these players were sort of just throwing onto the pitch and it was okay, you're playing this system, you need to work this out by yourself. Which seems like a theme throughout the season, even when they do have time to prepare. James, what, what did you think of the game? Yeah, it was an eyesore, basically. That's what I think of the game. <laughs> it was brutal to watch. Um, but yeah, I, you know, for for someone like Cameron Harper, shout out to another American uh, making their debut for for uh, Celtic, for 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 him to be making his debut under these circumstances, um, with playing a role that you know, again, I don't even know what the role was. I uh, looked at his heat map just out of curiosity, and it, it's <laughs> all over the place. Um, every everywhere from the corners to <laughs> on both sides of the the pitch, you know. Again, so maybe moved around. Maybe it was a fluid system. I don't know. Um, and so it's that's just brutal. I mean, what 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 a difficult situation to walk into. I mean, if he was the nominal striker or one of the two nominal strikers, I mean, you could kind of see at times maybe four two three one uh, with Turnbull out wide at times and and Harbor kind of a striker maybe sorta. Uh, so I mean, that, that's just brutal. And um, so the one thing I did want to say is I, I thought Welsh, you know, I'm, I'm still skeptical on Welsh. I don't think he really profiles as a European level Celtic uh, center back. Uh, you know, I, I think g- given his size, um, you know, I'm a little skeptical on that. But uh, I thought, you know, I thought 
he was excellent. I thought yeah, for, for the agreed. circumstances, yeah. he really played a really good game. And even Duffy up until the free kick, I thought Duffy for him. This is his best game, yeah. Yeah, I thought yeah, Duffy yeah. was okay. I mean, it was really unfortunate. That's the, the free kick, my, my favorite proxy for the free kick was Laxalt. I've I've watched to I've watched the free kick I don't know maybe half a dozen times, and uh, the comedy value of just focusing on Laxalt is pretty high. If anyone wants to try it, I mean he he kind of marks a guy and until the ball gets kicked, and then he just runs around like he literally just runs around like a like a puppy does, um, <laughs> you know, kind of incoherently, not really knowing what they're doing. It's amazing, uh, and, and you know, obviously we had the three of them go to the. <laughs> the line uh, instead of coming out to to cover Nisbet. So um, yeah, so in a really tough spot uh, against maybe the fourth or fifth best team in the league, you know, trying to play a system with guys that haven't played together. I mean, that's the other thing I think fitness wise. I mean, these, these, these younger players haven't had a season. I mean, they're in training, but they're not match fit. They've, they've mm-hmm. barely been playing. Yeah. Uh, or if they've been playing at some kind of internal bounce games or something, theoretically. I mean, I there has there's barely yeah, been any been, kind of. I think there's been two maybe reserve games or, or, or Glasgow Cup games possibly. I mean, Harper had cramp in 57 minutes. Now, a cramp isn't an injury. It's it's yeah. a fail. It's it's a conditioning failure actually. It's a yeah. failure to condition properly. Uh, and 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 listen, he's a kid. I mean, he wasn't physically ready to play that game. Um, and and it was astonishing when because Oakleflex came on who looked. Quick, mobile, strong, held the ball up quite well, went into challenges, and you sort of think, who made that decision that you know Harper should start over Oakleflex? That, that that in itself is a is a, is a stunning uh, you know decision on that basis. I really yeah. wish I had my Photoshop skills ready at the ready when I saw the pictures appearing of him wearing his earpods and just <laughs> listening listening to us oh, harper on about the uh, shape and you know yeah. I, I don't think that's what he was i think it was neil lennon apparently he was listening to when he was going on but um yeah in, in terms of this game like i mean there's a big difference between match fitness and training anybody who has played any sport or football in particular will know that you can be as fit as a fiddle and you go onto a pitch and you're blowing within uh, within 10, 15 minutes because it's a different kind of conditioning. You're constantly up and down, raising, lowering your heart rate all the time. In terms of you mentioned Welsh there, um, Alan, any particular standout performances for you? Yeah, I think Welsh. I think James absolutely spot on with Welsh. Um, I I like Welsh. Um, I like him. So in terms of the game, just to put into context, you know, what is a good performance look like for, for him? He made ten successful challenges, intercepts, and only lost one. Duffy actually won all of his challenges. It was it was easily Duffy's best game until that moment at the end. Um, uh, Welsh had nineteen recoveries, uh, which is second only to Sorrow. Um, he made eight eight clearances, which is easily the most in the in the team. A clearance making clearance isn't necessarily a, a positive, but it, what it indicates to me is it backs up my sort of qualitative assessment of Welsh, which is that he's a he's an uncomplicated defender. He doesn't overcomplicate the game like Duffy does. He keeps the game very simple. He plays it safe. Uh, it's something that Kieran Tierney always did. People don't focus on Tierney's defensive skills so much, but Tierney's um, main asset as a defender, apart from his recovery pace, was that he didn't overcomplicate the game. He kept it very simple. And as a result, he made very few errors. Uh, and Welsh, Welsh similarly. And, and actually, you know, also the hips put a lot of pressure on him. You know, their, their default ball was the diagonal uh, to hear him and Frimpong's position, which a lot of teams do. And they had, and, they, and he was up against Nisbet, who 
is the highest scoring striker in the league, right? And it was a really good good prospect. So I think that was a, a standout performance from Welsh. And as I say, because of the both the qualitative and to a lesser extent the quantitative, which we don't have a lot of data on him, I'm actually quite um, hopeful uh, about Welsh. And in fact, for me, if we if we play the rest of the season, given that Julian isn't, isn't going to be back, if we play the rest of the season with a combination of Welsh and Ayer, I'd be pretty excited to see that, actually. We might need to get used to playing Welsh there anyway, because, I mean, Duffy is essentially gone, and maybe Chris Julian has played his last game in a Celtic kit because of, well, firstly, he's out for at least um, a couple of months with his knee injury, and then, sure, who knows what happens after that. So, so just on the, sorry, I don't go, back, go backwards, but just, you, if I was Chris Julian, and I'd be really surprised if he's not speak, he's not taking legal advice at this time. I'd be very surprised. Well, that's that is that is something that could potentially happen because I mean it's the decision making off the board. Maybe he didn't approve of going, but I mean it it complicates the whole matter that he you know in personal choice you can choose not to go, you can choose to leave early like Duffy did essentially. But uh, James, anything for you from this game that you want to touch on in terms of uh, the stats, the XG, whatever? Yeah, I, the the other part, um, you know, this comes back to. Uh, to, to the coaching question. And, you know, I think the game on Monday was more so an opportunity issue. I mean, that we didn't get into positions. It's not like we were, I didn't think the decision-making was terrible <laughs> like it had been in the, in the Derby um, where people were shooting and passing up good opportunities to pass. I think these were more desperation shots because that's about all we could get. <laughs> um, so, uh, but, you know, it goes back to, you know, the, uh, for example, Soro had a shot that was actually a pretty good shot from range. That was the, the one thing. If you look at the, you know, we'll say the post shot XG of the long distance shooting, we actually were pretty good shooting from distance in this game. Uh, so we put an, an unusual number on goal and actually, you know, made their keeper make some saves. Um, but if you look at somebody like Soro, this is where I get concerned about uh, philosophy and coaching. You look at uh, a player like Soros track record prior to Celtic. I don't think he had scored a goal in yeah, one, uh, one goal. Was it one? Yeah. One, yeah. And, and his number games. of shots were very low. He, he you know, he tip, he's a, he's a defensive midfielder. He plays fairly deep and his, his job is not to shoot. And I can see him and particularly the way he reacted to scoring that goal. Uh, and in the dynamic between him and Lennon, I could envision a conversation where they've been encouraging him to shoot more. <laughs> and I, right, Alan, I just, you know, and maybe, maybe he's the greatest long range shooter in the history of the world, but why has no one identified this before now? <laughs> at, at four different clubs and yeah. four different countries and four different languages. No one thought to think, ah, <laughs> right. So, you know, almost the, you know, it's, it's like someone who's uh, uh, starts gambling for the first time. Uh, or you see this in, uh, you know, people that get involved in financial markets, trading stocks or something like that, or currencies. The, one of the worst things you can do is make a lot of money early <laughs> <laughs> because then you think you know what you're doing instead of it having been luck or randomness and you lose everything. So, you know, the fact that Soro has scored on a, a long range shot and now the second one, which was a good shot. I mean, he put it, it required a good save. It was, looked like it was going in. You know, I almost I, I shudder when I see this. I'm like, oh, you know, <laughs> are, are we going to start seeing Soros <laughs> shooting three times from 30 yards every game uh, and encouraged to do so? 
uh, which, you know, again, probably wouldn't be a good idea. So um, that that was the other thing that struck me is, is in coming out of that game was I saw him shoot again. I was like, oh, boy, we don't want to mm-hmm. see this become a pattern. Yeah. Let's move on to big picture things then, because we've spoken about a lot about what could have happened, what potentially might have been the fallout from the Dubai trip. The realistic uh, real life fallout from this is that Celtic had to play with a depleted squad. They drew against Hibs. Essentially, if they wanted to win the league, they wanted they had to win every single game from now until the end of the season. That didn't happen. So they're not going to win the league. Rangers going to win the league. So we'll put that to bed. But it's been 10 years. It's been a decade. We've spoken a lot about the sort of long-term regression of this Celtic team in Europe. What about domestically? What are we expecting from Celtic over the next three, four, five years? Because you, you mentioned the financial impact and what Peter Law is thinking. Of. Celtic, I, I actually looked at the books uh, when they were published. 70 million in profit last year. That's depleted now. It's only a couple of hundred thousand. So it's, it's a 70 million hit that Celtic have taken. They have a lot of assets that will be uh, a lot worth a lot less next year, considerably a lot less next year, and considerably a lot less than they were last year because of the the way that the market has fallen over the last year. So, uh, Alan, your thoughts on the next couple of – or James, I think you want to jump in here. I just wanted to throw – because there there was a – and I had commented on this Twitter this week was the Dembele move to uh, Madrid, Atletico. And the terms of that were a loan with an option to buy. And if you looked at the rumor mill back in, I think it was September and October, about what Milan was looking to do with Ayer was a loan with an option to buy. And if you you know think about this in consumer terms, uh, it's almost like a, 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 a seller financing scheme. You know, it's like going to buy a car and then offering you a loan <laughs> to, to, to buy uh, something that you can't afford, uh, upfront, I mean, you can't yeah, pay cash yeah. for it. And, uh, given what's going on and, and, you know, this second round with the new variant of, of, uh, the virus, uh, and, and what this might mean as we head into the end of the season, if leagues can finish and what it looks like for early next season, um, th- there are significant, and I talked about this last week, uh, the risks here in the transfer market are substantial. Uh, that you know, who knows what the terms are going to be when we look to sell some of these players. And uh, you know, given the asymmetry of the the risk reward decision making that we talked about at the beginning of the show, um, whatever future plans are in the pipeline, uh, you know, they're being laid out by the people that have been making these decisions. Um, so when I look at the next three to five years, it's a question of, you know, model, what's the structure and then who are the people deploying it? Uh, and then what are the, you know, just the financial resources. And I think the ultimate, uh, result of this season, we're going to come out of it with at best financial parity with Rangers. So we've gone in a, in a period of 12 months from you know close to 40 million on the balance sheet and you could argue upwards of 80 million plus in players um to the cash gone 
and and the news broke this morning this morning my time uh of the furloughing of the under 18s uh and uh you know they put in a 13 million dollar line of credit i would be surprised if they're going to tap into that now with what's going on if they don't sell anyone uh in this window and we have all this risk of you know the 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 issues with the support and and season ticket renewals and whether people are going to get into grounds next season what's the value proposition there so uh i suspect rangers aren't going to have a problem if they win the league which as you said it's you know probably 99 percent probable now uh and they have a fair crack at champions league money now as well mm-hmm. you know th- this is a complete reset in the financial landscape uh, on a competitive basis and this has all been done in 12 months. Uh, and a lot of it has been due to bad decision-making at Celtic. Uh, as well as, you know, again, in fairness to Rangers, uh, on the footballing side, um, some some better decision-making. Yeah. Um, so the next three to five years is, is back to the future. You know, back to a league where, you know, I, I I would be surprised if we go into next season as favorites. In fact, I would think we'll probably be fairly significant uh, underdogs in a two-team league, effectively. And um, there's a chance that our wage budget, unless we get cap outside capital, you know, unless somebody's going to pony up a check in a share offering or something like that, it wouldn't surprise me if we have a smaller wage bill than, than Rangers uh, and that we go f- towards a youth movement. And, um, you know, who knows who the director of football, when they go to that model, is going to be as it's rumored to be, it's going to happen. And who's the manager that comes in? I mean, there's, there's just so many moving parts now. Uh, whereas we're in relative chaos, whereas, you know, I, on the other side of the city, I see a plan. I see uh, a plan being executed. And, um, you know, they gambled financially, but sometimes you know, that that pays off and it looks like it may in this instance. Your AC works overtime all summer, so be sure to replace your old air filters with new filtry air filters. They recommend updating HVAC filters at least every three months all year round. So order your filtry air filters today at filtry.com. Let's clear the air. Yeah, and uh, just on just on that, because Rangers, you it's a it's a basic uh, money principle. A basic gambling principle is essentially you have to spend money to make money. And, and Celtic have not spent money over the last five, six, seven, eight years. And I've spoken about this before. They didn't, for me, do their risk reward strategy correctly if they thought that not spending money would be enough to stay in the Champions League. And ultimately, that's where clubs are making their money. That's why the super clubs are remaining the super clubs. And that's why everyone playing in the Champions League are doing better than everyone else. Because the money involved in that is astronomical. And Celtic didn't think about that. They didn't think that maybe if we don't invest in the squad properly, that we won't be in this competition forever. And that money will not be there forever. And who knows the next time Celtic are going to be back in the Champions League? And to get there, you need to spend money. And to spend money, you need to have a little bit of money. And Celtic don't have any money anymore. That's that's where we're at. It's it's. I, I, I sort of task myself with thinking about the question. You know, is is this the end of an era? Is this like the end of Celtic's sort of dynasty and hegemony over Scottish football? You know, is is this strategically actually the end of that period? Um, and and I think if you think about all the scenarios. 
about why do football club hegemonies end. Celtic don't fit any of those models. So if you look at, um, for example, some teams just get old together. You know, the team physically ages and declines. You know, Manchester United were a classic example of that in the early 1970s, where the, the European Cup winning team from 68 all got old together, Charlton and Law and so forth. And, uh, and, and they ended up getting relegated by 1974. Uh, Barcelona are going through that exactly the same time. They gave long contracts to the likes of, you know, Piquet and Busquets and so forth. And they've now got aging players in key positions that they can't, they can't shoot. They've got no resale value. And then you think about other scenarios, you know, has, have, have, we, have we done a, like a Leeds in 74 and brought in a, a clough? I mean, whatever you might say about Lennon, you know, he did win, he has won for, you know, three trophies and he, you know, he's, he's hardly, a, a, you know, a sort of a stretch for the club culturally. He's not like, you know, Sunis at Liverpool in 91, who completely destroyed everything that's been built up over the last 15 years. You could argue, you know, Van Gaal at Man United was just a complete cultural misstep. Um, you know, we've not we've not had sudden disaster. You know, Busby Bays, the Torino team of '49. Um, we've not had like a key person suddenly, you know, leave. We don't have any anyone in one key person risk. So if you think about, you know, Ferguson leaving Manchester United, that's that's irrecoverable almost. Um, James will be able to speak to American sport, but that's that's the key risk in American most American sports. NBA teams are obviously very small, right? When the best player retires, the, the dynasty tends to end. Mm-hmm. In, in in football, in, in American football, when the quarterback retires, you know, the, the, the good run comes to an end. I don't know about baseball because I don't count that as a sport. You know, it could oh. be, it could be, it could be, it could be, um, we haven't, we, we've not seen, we're not, I think we will see a bit of an exodus, but it's not like, you know, these teams that are built up that are excellent and then suddenly all the players leave at the same time. It happened to Everton in the 1980s, it happened to Ajax in the mid-90s, it happened to Porto uh, when Mourinho left. We're not in that scenario either. We're not even overreaching, to your point. You know, we're not doing a Leeds United. We're not doing a Rangers under Murray. Um, so this, what this is, is actually a story of underreaching and of arch conservatism. One of the most, you know, frustrating things that Lowell's ever said was that piece that, that Phil McGillivan reported, and it was a personal conversation that he was reporting, so it was direct, a direct quote, that, that when, when the Rangers liquidation, um, you know, started to become reality... Lowell's, Lowell's response to that was, this has cost us 5 million quid a season. That was his response. Again, accountant, all he's thinking about is the bottom line. And, and, and I think there are, I, think, and I, th- I believe, and I think that the, what we saw under Ronnie Dyla wasn't, wasn't Dyla's fault in terms of closing that tier. I think the reality was there's probably around 5,000 season ticket holders who won't renew if they're not playing in, in old firm games. And do you know what? Good riddance to them, as far as I'm concerned. You know, what I, I've never understood, what I've never understood about this is for me, and you mentioned it, Enda, about the Champions League money. Surely, I get that Celtic would be five million a year poorer by not having a Rangers around to compete against and, and, and the old firm dollar, etc. But surely having a free run at Champions League money for all those years would make up for that more. What I think has happened is typical low. He wants his cake and he wants to eat it. He wanted uh, depressed, subjugated Rangers to get to keep those five thousand people renewing their season tickets to get that five million extra in TV money. Andy, Andy thought he was going to get a free run uh, at the Champions League money, but they haven't actually set themselves up to do that. And and perhaps it's taken them by surprise that the, the lot across the city have gambled to such an extent as they have. And I kind of slightly disagree with James on that one because they are absolutely built on sand. And, you know, it's some, there has to be a reckoning. At some point, there has to be a reckoning. 
but that nevertheless we have dropped the ball. And, and I think is if it is an end of an era, it's not for the reasons that normally football clubs come to the end of their dominance. It's, it's because it's actually the opposite of many of those reasons. There might be a reckoning for them. Like it could come come in the same form as it came last time, or it could, like James say, it could it could work out for them because basically what football clubs build themselves on and what the Manchester United model has been for years now under the Glaziers and even some the Liverpool model to an extent has been built on waging um, debt. Yeah, highly the, leveraged. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Leveraging wow. that debt and bringing in money later on. And that's what Rangers are essentially promising. If we spend all this money, Champions League will be there for us over the next couple of years and we will be able to pay that back. So I'll, I'll use a financial world analogy here. So the difference with Rangers this time is, you know, they're, they're more analogous to a country like the United States that's issuing their own debt in their own currency. So all of their debt for the most part is internally held. Uh, they have, you know, they've been converting it. So that that's why, and I even, I didn't quite understand the dynamics of this back in the spring until I really looked into it. Uh, again, looking for things to do during lockdown. Um, and uh, so I, I kind of changed my view on their path financially at that point, because, you know, um, they're going to be, be able to endow uh, their, their financial situation by making Champions League. And, you know, again, they do have valuable players. They're not as valuable as you know, an Edward or theoretically a, a McGregor, although after the season, who knows? Um, but, you know, they're, they're going to be able to get a decent price for Barisic and even Tavernier. I mean, they, they probably should look to sell him after the season, given his age and decline profile and the kind of season that he's had. So, you know, if they get 30 million from Champions League and they can raise another 20 or 25 million in selling players, Again, I've ripped. I've looked at their financial statements. Uh, that that's enough. That's enough for them to basically get to the point of being a going concern, an operating model where they're not having to finance externally. And that's that's the difference when you're in Argentina and you have to borrow money in U.S. dollars. You know that's the analogous of what happened to Rangers back in uh, the knots, which is they borrowed money from banks, and and that's. You know, when you have creditors that are going to assert creditor uh, powers, then that's where you come into a problem. But they, they simply don't have that dynamic. So, again, that's where the irony of all this is, you know, we, we may come out of this and it could be Celtic with the one that's drawn a bank line. This is what I'm saying. The, the degree of this, it, it's like bizarro world in 12 months, just turning this, flipping it completely upside down. Um, and, and so again, I, I, I suspect what, what Celtic's board is expecting is that they're going to be able to raise enough through player sales to basically bail them out. Um, and that's why I keep coming back to this. Well, yeah, they're, they're going to be able to sell them, but boy, I tell you, if I was, if I was somebody looking to buy Celtic players right now, I would be drooling. I would be drooling at my negotiating leverage. Uh, as these, as so, this is going into, yeah. you know, uh, the last eighteen months of the Big Four. Yeah, yeah. no, it makes sense, James. I, I, don't, I don't disagree with any of that, but it does work both ways, right? I mean, Celtic are still relatively a large club, and that works both ways in terms of their dealings 
with smaller smaller clubs, unfortunately. So, but I take your point. I mean, in terms of the impact on the bottom line, in terms of bringing money in and financing a rebuild, which is, I mean, listen, a rebuild is on the cards because all the I don't think we'll keep any of the loan players, frankly. And it, you know, it's likely that the likes of um, Incham, you know, probably Edward, probably Christie, probably Ayer, even you know, are, are going to be from a career development perspective looking to be on their on their way, and that leaves you with a core. Right, a core of, I'm going to say Barkas because he's an experienced goalkeeper. Julian Turnbull, McGregor, Forrest. That that that's you've got to build a skeleton around that. Now there are some, you know, promising young players there. Frimpong, you know, Taylor's only 23. Johnson's 21. Sorrow's 22. You know, Clamal is only 22. Jetty's only 23. Believe it or not. Um, so there's a core of younger players there, but you're going to need, um, you know, six, seven experienced players to, to mm-hmm. trade in uh, to get back to uh, you know a solid level so yeah, that's that's gonna, the, it's going to be a tough ask well and that's the the issue is the structure that's why i said earlier the structure and the people deploying the plan here as far as what's what's this rebuild going to look like and and you know what's the model um and that in, all of that introduces significant risk whereas it looks like rangers have already done that they already have their model. They already have Wilson in place. You know, they're they're already kind of a well-oiled machine to a degree, whereas we're kind of in the reconstitution phase. Uh, and it, it might happen. I mean, I, you know, from, from the ashes, right, <laughs> rises the phoenix. So uh, we're certainly burning it down. Uh, so, but that, that introduces risk. So if they if they do if they make good decisions from here, put smart people in control and have a vision and a model and and move forward from there, there will be resources. I'm not saying there won't, won't be resources, but it's an issue of the margin for error and and the risk, you know, back to this conversation of risk. Uh you you're introducing risk and the resources aren't going to be as high as they should have been. Uh certainly a probably a large degree smaller than they expected um, how this would all play out. Um, so, you know, that, that's where I go back. If you think about the next three to five years, it's, it, to me, it's very dicey. I, I think mm-hmm. there's a, a, the, the call it the expected value range, you know, so I could see things working out great. Uh, you know, Rangers are going to have some disruption when Gerard eventually leaves. Um and there's risk if, then if, if when that happens. Bill, if he takes Bill with him, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and and you know maybe if Wilson gets a better job somewhere, uh, gets attracted somewhere, or you know. So th- there's obviously bilateral risk here. It's just that right now, particularly over the next two years, it looks like you know Celtics facing a lot more, um, and that means there could be upside there if, if things break right, but it could also get really bad if they don't make good decisions mm-hmm. which again this goes back to why the, the last 12 months are so concerning um as we've kind of spiraled into so many bad decisions i'm going to finish this off with another phrase sort of like your phoenix phrase james yes through adversity comes opportunity and if if celtic can get as you said <laughs> there's a long shot if they can get right people in in the right frame of mind that know what they're doing a football director i think is absolutely key to all of this um not that it's going to solve all the problems but i do think it will be uh getting a person in there that knows the footballing word makes a lot a, a lot bigger difference when it when it 
changing from Peter Lawl making football decisions to a football person who understands the market and understands the game making the decision. So hopefully, and we will do a podcast on what is going to happen and what players are leaving and you know all, the, all those kind of things. We'll touch on that in a little bit more depth as the week goes on. Before we finish up, I do want to say I did say that there was exciting news coming for the Huddle Breakdown podcast. We are joining the 20-Minute Tim's podcast on their uh, Patreon page once a month every month for the next uh, six months until the end of the season we'll have a podcast on their patreon page anyway so that is the news we'll announce it on social media as well so thanks to everyone who has listened to this point so far and if you want to join and listen to us on the 20 minute tim's patreon you can sign up to their patreon page as well until next week until the next time we have to deal with another celtic crisis <laughs> Juco james and alan morrison thanks for joining me today thanks guys thanks we'll chat to you later up with Team USA with gig speeds over Wi-Fi from Xfinity. Can your internet do that? Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Requires gig internet and compatible gateway. Gig speed Wi-Fi is shareable across all devices. Actual speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Xfinity, proud partner of Team USA. Me, 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 but also you. <laughs> the Pharaoh fast-forwards his favorite foreign film. Powder donut. <clears throat> 
Okay, what's my line? Uh, the only line I see here on the script is get options based on your budget with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. Oh, man, that's a tongue twister, huh? I'm sorry, I'm going to need a few more minutes. <clears throat> bulbous Walrus, the Bulbous Walrus. The Name Your Price tool, only from Progressive. The owl ran afoul of the comatose Coxswain. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.